So I think from my father growing up, what I saw from him was like, you work, you work, you work so hard, but you still end up with nothing. That's honestly the pattern I saw. Welcome to the Money Without Shame podcast. I'm your host, Amy Schultz, and I'm here to tell you that the story you've been believing about yourself and money isn't true. You're not bad at money. In fact, you were set up for failure from a lack of healthy money conversations growing up to societal conditioning, to an economic system that just wasn't made for women. That's why I'm on a mission to remove the shame that I know so many of you feel about your money and empower you to take back control of your financial future. Each week, my guests and I are going to explore the truth behind why money has felt so challenging, using real stories from real women to reveal the external factors that influence our financial lives and offer a way to do and feel better about money without shame. You're not alone, and it's not all your fault. Let's dive into today's episode. Welcome back to the Money Without Shame podcast. I'm your host, Amy Schultz. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I have my friend and fellow money coach, Claire Coleman, here with me. Together, Claire and I have been helping women improve their relationships with money from the inside out for years, and I'm so excited for all of you to hear from her. So Claire, go ahead and tell us a little bit about you. Thank you, Amy. I'm so excited to be here with you. I am a certified money coach. I'm an accredited financial counselor, and I live in San Diego, California, currently in Norway. I'm mainly working with people right now on both the emotional and the practical side of money, really to help these people lead lives free of both financial and emotional limitations. Um, So yeah, I'm really excited to be in this space and just chatting with you about all things money without shame. So for everybody listening, Claire and I, we officially met in 2021, but we knew about each other, I think for a year before that. And we just hadn't met while we were going through some of the same trainings. And now a lot of the time what we're doing is just sitting on Zoom together like we are right now, working and brainstorming and talking about how do we solve this problem for women? How do we help more women get to the place where they feel better about their money and not so ashamed because we see constantly every day how that shame is holding them back from moving forward. So Claire, tell everybody about your story. Tell me about how you got into this space. Oof, how I got into this space. I think it's a like a fate question, honestly. <laughs> like I think it was just meant to be for me and probably for you too. You know, I initially started out wanting to, I didn't even really know what I wanted to do, let's be honest. I was going to school for sociology and like studying health science, and I thought I was horrible at money. And I never expected to fall into the field of money coaching. But once I graduated from college, I was so lost. And like I traveled a little bit. And I remember keeping a list of how many jobs I would apply for and how many wouldn't say yes to me or just (laughs) never heard back. And the list would get to like 60, 70, 80, you know, and it was just like the most toxic thing I could have ever done. But I was also like, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was applying for all these like random jobs. But I found the Money Coaching Institute, which is located in Northern California, but they do remote trainings. And they're based 
focused on the psychology of money, basically. The Money Coaching Institute founder and, and CEO is Deborah Price. She's basically the pioneer of the field of behavioral money coaching. And honestly, if I had not opened up and given that a try, I would not be here at all. So I really do think it changed my life personally because I took the course and it was really hard for me. But once I started to understand the dynamics that are really going on around money and like money in the brain, the more I was able to see it through just my own personal experience and then working through my own money story with that lens really helped me understand more about what I want as a person, who I want to be, who I want to be surrounded by. And when I started making small changes, it was like a snowball effect. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it started making huge changes. And, you know, that was kind of in the time where I was starting to know who you were online and like stalking you and <laughs> all that. I remember sending you a message like, hey, there's a typo on your website. And you were so nice about it. You want to be friends. <laughs> you want to be friends. Here's this constructive criticism. Um, but yeah, like meeting people like you and the other coaches that you and I had connected with years ago and started building things with, that was a motivation for me. And I just kept learning more about myself. I started working with more people, learning more about them. And that's why I love coaching because I feel like you as a coach grow alongside your clients all the time. Like you have to face your own crap, like face your own money stuff. And I think that's honestly one of the biggest blessings to be in a role where you are actually growing your own personal toolkit of resources while also helping other people do the same thing, make those changes as well. Yeah, I love that. And it's so, it's so interesting to me. You were basically like, I think I'm kind of interested in this money coaching thing. I'm going to check out this program at the Money Coaching Institute. And then you were like, oh, shit. <laughs> Like, yeah, I was like, I have oh money my stuff God. <laughs> to deal with. So I better dive in. And I think there's a big difference yeah. between financial experts who, because I hear this all the time, like I'll post something about, you know, the real reason why we're in debt or the real reason why nothing has worked before or, you know, all the things we talk about on here, right? Like the societal conditioning that's keeping us from doing better with money, from feeling better about money. And I'll get so many people who are like, well, I did it. I learned about money and I took this course and I followed these eight steps and I did it. So why is it so hard for everybody else? And to me, there's a big difference between financial experts and people who are giving guidance, who have been there, who have been in the struggle mm -hmm. and people who haven't. Because when you work through your own emotional and behavioral challenges around money, you start to understand more just on a deeper level what your clients are going through. And so it's much easier to be able to look at them and see, hear them talking and understand what they're actually saying more than just, yes. oh, I, I need to follow these steps or like I need to set up a budget. So tell me a little bit about what that process was like for you digging into your own money story and realizing 
wow, this is so much more than I thought it was. Everybody has their own unique money Mm -hmm. story, just like you said, which leads them to where they are. But I think it is really digging in and understanding what that means and how it got us here and like where that, if we keep doing the same things that we're doing, where is that going to take us in the future? And is that going to be in alignment with our goals and what we want? For me personally, when I look back, even though it was hard as a kid, I realized now that there were a lot of aspects that I'm very fortunate to have. I grew up in a really nice place in the world, Silicon Valley, the heart of the tech boom, like in 95, you know, mm-hmm. and Google starting, Facebook starting, like it was a really nice place to grow up in. I always lived in a really safe neighborhood. But internally in my family dynamic where there was the hardship, my mom struggled with various mental health challenges and addiction. And my dad, bless his heart, I don't know how he was able to keep a family of five going in that part of the world because he kept losing his job, losing his job, losing his job. We kept moving into a house that was less and less and less. And I felt so bad for my dad. I was just like, I don't know how he does it, but I was also kind of resentful as a kid because I was like, where are you? So I think from my father growing up, what I saw from him was like, you work, you work, you work so hard, but you still end up with nothing. That's honestly the pattern I saw. So that had something to do with why I went along paths of careers that I knew didn't have a good ability to have a high income, you know, Uh, because I was like, well, if I'm going to work super hard, like I might as well enjoy it. And, you know, if I'm going to end up with nothing anyway, what's the point? And then from my mom's side of things, um, you know, it's interesting. I think the biggest thing that I learned from her and I know it was not intentional at all was this like feeling bad for receiving which I think Mm -hmm. I see a lot from people not feeling like they're enough to actually receive gifts things given to themselves or actually spend money on themselves so it can be either way but there was one memory I think when I was like nine eight nine or something I so excited to go shopping with my friend at the mall and her mom and like they were pretty well off I remember and we were at Abercrombie like it was the time you know for Abercrombie (laughs) and her mom bought me a pair of jeans that were like $90 at the time which at the time was a lot of money and I could never fathom spending $90 on a pair of jeans and I got, got home and I was so excited. I was like, mom, look at what Kira's mom gave me. And she was so upset. She was like, you need to take this back. Like, how dare you accept this? It's too much, you know? And I was just really upset. And my mom would like to take me shopping and stuff, but, you know, nothing too, too pricey. And from then on, I always had trouble receiving things without feeling guilty, without feeling shameful, like that I wasn't deserving of it, which is so interesting that it's like that one moment stuck, it sticks in my mind so much that it has impacted and it's impacted so much of my life, you know? There's so many little moments that shape the way we 
react and behave and decide yeah. about money and our careers for the rest of our lives. And we don't realize it unless we've talked to you, basically. That's where a lot of the releasing of shame has to come from because if you didn't go to the Money Coaching Institute, you might not have ever known that. And so you might have been stuck in a position where you were always just kind of looking for jobs that didn't really fit you or mm -hmm. that didn't really give you enough to support yourself. And it was from that core belief that was formed that receiving is bad and, you know, yeah. having money means something or, you know, I'm oversimplifying it. But when we talk to women about this, one of the first things we do is asking them about their own money stories and having them share exactly what you just shared of like, what have they gone through? And we're able to connect the dots between mm -hmm. what they experienced, what they learned and what they believe about money today because of that. And that's so eye-opening. And it's like, unless somebody has done that for you before, you can't really be held responsible for your financial choices because that awareness isn't there and that link isn't there. Yeah. Most of the people that we meet I've found have these very specific experiences that they just did not realize how impactful it was. Yeah, I think there's definitely a starting point that is sometimes just observing how you feel and what's going on and being honest about the thoughts that you're having about money and what got you to the point that you're in. But you have to do it from a place of compassion and there's a lot of people that have trauma around money. And so it can be a really difficult spot to go in. I think so many of our members, like we've recognized that in them, that we there needs to be additional support around therapy. And that's where money and mental health are so tied together because it's so connected, like you said, deeply entrenched in what's going on in our lives. It's deeply entrenched in who we are as people because our society yeah. places such a high importance on money as part of your identity, where you earn, mm -hmm. where you live, you know, how much you spend, what you have access to, how you talk about money. I think it's really interesting, like the idea of the collective unconscious and how even from the beginning of time, even before we had paychecks, it was about your resources, who had the more resources, who was better, right? If you had more resources, you lived longer, you were more powerful, people saw to you more, they listened to you more. Even from the start of just humans, this was the, uh, it was really the route to survival, like whoever had the resources won. It's created this society of just severe money dysfunction in a sense where I do feel a lot of social political everything is deeply tied to money dysfunction and one of the things that I feel so strongly about in this body of work is yes it's important to address our own money stories not just for ourselves but for the world as to, to be a better people because if we can start making decisions from a place of our own inherent goodness instead of our own inherent pain, I think we are going to make better decisions for not just ourselves, but like for the world as a whole. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's so it's so true because it kind of comes back to the idea that if 64% of 
Americans are living paycheck to paycheck and like 61% of Americans have credit card debt. And I just saw a stat the other day that was like 80% of employees would not be able to pay one or some bills if their paycheck was delayed a week. Like that's a shit ton of people. And (laughs) we can't just say that it's an individual problem. It has to be a collective problem. And like, how can that many people be struggling that much and have it be about something that they as individuals did wrong? To me, that's an outed belief. And it's, it's a lot easier for somebody in a position of power to blame the individual than to say, oh, something needs to change about our economy. Something needs to change about our society, about the way we talk about money, about the way we operate with money in order to make this a space where everybody can thrive. And I think that's where when we think about, you know, when you have women in leadership, when you have women who are in charge of the money, who have more money, who are building businesses, we look at more things like that, right? We look at Mm -hmm. who are the people that are not like us but are struggling and how do we involve them in decision-making and how do we make sure that we're building for everybody and making it a space where everybody can thrive. And I think a lot of times that's where we get stuck is that our society makes us think that it's about the individual being lazy or bad at money. They're overspending their way to credit card debt. When really most of the people who have credit card debt, this is a this is a real statistic. Most people that have credit card debt have credit card debt because they are paying bills, because they are living, not because they're just like spending frivolously on things. So yeah. I think our what you're saying is our, and you're the sociologist, so I don't know <laughs> if I'm using <laughs> the right words, but the collective unconscious to me is conditioned by society to blame the individual rather than to think about what are we how are we talking and interacting with money in a way that maybe isn't helping everybody yeah no I I agree and I think like um we you know we can do the work but like at the end of the day I wish just the people in the power positions would like also do the work but you know here we are the money coaches are here yes (laughs) it's such a tough balance because we're trying to help individuals do better with their money while we're also saying there's the system wasn't made for you there's all these things that are keeping you from you know doing good with money or having more access to resources to higher incomes especially if you are a mom especially if you are a woman of color it's like there's only so much that we can help from the standpoint of shifting your relationship with money to where there's these ceilings that we as a collective need to work together to overcome because one person isn't going to be able to do enough on their own to get past it. And I think that's a reality that we have to face and we have to think about it in that way. If we have enough people that are doing well enough with money to get into leadership positions to start changing the narrative that's Mm -hmm. how we make change it has to be individual growth for collective action because that's the only way that we're going to get big enough and have enough of an impact to where we can change it and make it better for everybody but that's a tough place to be in because there are the reality of the systemic barriers means that it it sometimes feels like you're stuck it sometimes feels like you don't have options based on how you grew up how you were raised around money 
I'm curious how you navigate that with the women that you work with around money is like when you can see very real things that are placed in front of them in terms of obstacles versus what they learned about money growing up, the mindset shifts that they need to have. What is it that you think makes the biggest difference for them? I think really removing somebody from that more primitive brain, if you will, of fear and anxiety is the only way that they're going to start seeing their own situation from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. So trying to like shift the way that they're thinking from that area in our brains to a more rational or logical part of their brain and getting them to see it from a third party or outsider perspective is huge. They're like, oh, okay, this is actually like manageable. It's not as scary as I think it's going to be. There are other options available for me. Okay, like I I understand this is where I am. This is where I want to be. How do I get there? And that is, I think, really where the coach can come in and help them brainstorm the different ways, the different steps that they need to actually take, you know, every week, every other day, every day if possible to actually change their current pattern, their current habit, their current behavior or whatever it is. There's two things that you said that were kind of like foundations, which was breaking something that feels really big into the small steps, like identifying what's the next step. And then also separating the fear from the reality of the situation. Not that fear isn't real. It's very real. But sometimes the fear can cloud our options and the possibilities and what's actually available to us. What are some exercises that our listeners can start doing to explore their own relationship with money and the way that some of these negative emotions or negative experiences growing up might be influencing their choices today? Ooh, girl. <laughs> so many. Pick like <laughs> Um, I think the first place to start if you're totally new to this field is writing about your money story. And the reason that is so important is because you need that initial awareness It's really reflecting on your own personal experience with money in your family, in your career, in your friendship circles. Like what has happened in your life around money that has left a positive and a negative impact on you? Mm -hmm. And once you take time to really reflect on that, typically you're going to start seeing some patterns from so First step, creating that awareness by understanding your money story and writing out any patterns that you can identify that are still existing in your current ways with money. So I think that's a good one. Yeah, Um, that's. I mean, that's huge. I think that's where people could spend weeks even just doing that. Yeah. They will start noticing changes in the way they think about money. I remember that was, you know, when I realized that my spending was so emotional around me trying to buy happiness, literally buying happiness, I just thought about it for a while. It took me months of just thinking about it and being mindful that that was my pattern before I actually started like changing my actions around it. Some people can learn something about themselves and then change it 
right? They can just, Mm -hmm. oh, I don't want to be doing this. I want to be doing this. Cool. I'll just do the thing I want to do. It's not that easy for everybody. And so that's where that compassion comes in. And that's where understanding that that is not, that does not mean that you're bad at this. That does not mean that you are wired to do bad things with money. It just means that we're wired to follow our patterning. And sometimes it it's really deep. It takes time to change it. Thank you so much for being here, Claire. I think for anybody listening, you have some pretty clear takeaways if you're just starting to explore your journey with your relationship with money. So definitely write out your money story. Think about your money memories, like Claire said. Start looking at the habits and the patterns that you have around money. Claire, thank you. It's been amazing. Ready to experience money without shame? Then come follow me at Amy Schultz Money Coach for daily inspo on Instagram. I am truly grateful to be on this journey with you. Thank you so much for tuning in. Want to be featured on a future episode or have your own money story to share? Send it to moneywithoutshame at gmail.com. See you next time.